welcome. You're listening to the Salesforce Marketing Cloud podcast for the UK financial services community. Our aim is to let you know what's happening, when it's happening, and how you can get involved. We'll keep it short and in downloadable form so you can listen wherever you are. Hit subscribe to get notifications of new episodes, news, and announcements. I'm Miles. And I'm Joe, And we work at Salesforce in the UK. As ever, any views here expressed are our own. That's right. Don't base any purchasing decisions based on what we say. Just sit back, enjoy and learn. So what are we talking about today, Joe? Today, Miles, we're going to be exploring what a cookie-less future means for digital marketeers. We'll be covering the basics of what a cookie is, why they're important and the changes being introduced by several of the big tech companies next year that will impact digital marketers. Excellent. Very topical. Okay. So who better to guide on the topic than fellow insider and data guru, Matt Quinn. Matt, welcome. Hey, Miles. Hey, Joe. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Um, It'd be great if you could just give us a little introduction into yourself, please, Matt. Yeah, of course. So Matthew Quinn. So I'm a solution engineer at Salesforce. And what that means is that for the last seven years, I've been working with marketers, with brands all over the world, on their digital marketing strategy and and their digital transformation. And before I joined Salesforce, I had a a background in a few startups and working at a uh, kind of a music streaming company, which was pretty cool as well. So got a bit of hands-on experience in the growth side of things. Brilliant. Cool. What drew you to the music tech company? Is it your taste in music or was it what they were trying to do with the business? It was a bit of both. Yeah. So, so since I was um, a student studying marketing, I wanted to move into that space. Um, also very interested in technology. So that's when we had platforms like Spotify getting off the ground. There was a lot of competitors in that space. Um, so I worked for one that ultimately, let's say, lost out to uh, to Spotify. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, our, our benefit there, um, we lucked in because we got to have you come join us. So <laughs> there's always a bright side. So Matt, with the cookie-less future, it would be great if we could just start with something as basic as what is a cookie and why are they important to digital marketeers? Yeah, of course. So I think I think there's an important distinction to draw right off the bat. We hear a lot about cookies and we hear a lot about third-party cookies and how maybe they're bad or they're going away. But you get different types of cookies and ultimately they're small files that are dropped by websites you visit and they're stored in your browser. So picture your browser as like an application, whether you're using something like Chrome, Firefox or Safari, essentially they're applications that store data from different websites you go to. And ultimately those files, that the data that's being stored, they're essentially just IDs. And against those IDs, you have data that's appended. Um, and that can then be used by that site and by technologies. So if I give you a couple of examples there, you have something called a first party cookie. And with all the changes that we're hearing around the cookie-less future, the first party cookie is, is relatively unimpacted. And the first party cookie means it's dropped by the domain that you're visiting. So if you visit salesforce.com, Salesforce have the ability to drop a file on your browser And it's against that file that they can store different pieces of information. And this is what makes things like when you add something to your cart on a retail website, and then you go to the next page and that item is in your cart. Things like first party cookies make that possible. It's it's storing information that can then be used at a later date. 
And it's how we get things like recommendations on a website as well. Essentially, without them, it would feel like every every new page you visit is a completely new view. Mm -hmm. Third-party cookies are slightly different. So the main distinction is that they're not dropped by the domain that you're visiting. They're dropped by a third party, hence the name. And really, they have a few different roles, but really it's around cross-domain tracking. So third-party cookies play a huge role in digital advertising, because if I go to a particular website, you know that website I'm visiting probably doesn't own their own advertising platform. Typically, they work with an advertising platform, you know, Google, the trade desk, companies like that. And in order for those companies to effectively target you across the internet with those display ads and banner ads that you see, they need to somehow reconcile who they're showing the ads to back to that individual. And that's where that third party ID is used. It's something that is dropped when you visit a website, but it's dropped by the third party. And that's really what we're seeing a lot of these changes clamping down on. And, you know, third party cookies, they're not, you know, they're not malicious things. For the most part, they are used for digital advertising, also that websites can, can track user behavior. Um, but with that, there's, there's ecosystems. If you think around third party data providers, you know, that, that was a huge industry. And I think it's an industry that has, has shrunk considerably following GDPR. But that was an entire industry that was built around capturing data from you and I and selling it to other organizations. And, you know, do you and I, were we aware that that was happening? Possibly, possibly not. And I think in the last few years, we've seen um, consumers and, and society in general becoming a lot more mindful of what data is captured on them, how data is used and, and everything that takes place behind the scenes there. Matt, if I give you an example, um, you know, perhaps I'm looking to buy a new home and I'm searching for that new home on, on a site like Rightmove or one of the property sites, and then I end up on uh, a bank or a building society's website, how might they use the an example of how they might use a third party cookie and a first party cookie today to, to personalize that experience? Yeah, yeah, great question, Miles. So the first party is really, if I go to a website, Perhaps I look at a particular product or, or offering, or even if that's maybe a streaming website, I look at I look at something I want to watch. If I then go back to the homepage later that day or tomorrow or the next week, that homepage can be relevant to me. It can almost remember and pick up from where we left off. And that's something that the website is, is doing themselves. Typically, that's powered by that first party ID or first party cookie. And as I say, that's not really going anywhere. That's not really impacted by what we're hearing in, in this cookie-less future. With third party, I suppose the big difference there, what we're gonna see is around um, anonymous retargeting. So I suppose we're getting a, a layer deeper here, but if you think about the different states you can be in when you go to a website, you could go to a brand new website, new brand you've heard of, you go to the website for the first time today, you are completely unknown to them. They have no data on you. You've never visited before. You've never signed in, etc. And in that scenario, historically, that company would then be able to retarget you. So you go on their site, you navigate away, you maybe go read the news, and you might be able to see some, some kind of banner ads or product ads based on what you looked at. And that's really what was powered by, by third-party cookies, because where you were then seeing those ads 
the, uh, the advertising platforms, Google, the Trade Desk and the like, they're able to show you those ads because they know that's you because they dropped that third party cookie on you when you're on the, the um, original website. Think about the other state that you could be in when you go to a site. It may be your favorite brand. You know, we can use Amazon as an example because I'm sure all of us listening at some point have, have had an Amazon account or have signed into Amazon. And what happens there is that all of that browse data, everything you're looking at on the site, can then become stored permanently against your profile, against your email address, your name. Because when you sign in, you're allowing that website to know who you are. Or when you sign up, you're giving them permission to know who you are. And they can then use that data in, in different ways. They can then start to use technologies like that which Salesforce have to start to advertise to you based on your, um, your email address, for example. And this is what we're seeing kind of a, a big shift in. And this is, a, I suppose, a, a shift that's been happening over the last 10 years is as we've seen the emergence of, of the social media platforms, they're all free, so they need to generate revenue from advertising. The offering that they have presented to, to brands that advertise, so Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, etc., they let brands upload lists of customer data into them. So if, if you are Facebook, for example, and I'm a brand that wants to advertise to my customers on Facebook, maybe I want to talk to them about a new promotion or a summer sale, I can upload that list of email addresses. Chances are, you know, more than half of those, the majority of those will probably also be associated to Facebook accounts. And therefore they can, they can reconcile one against the other see that this is, you know, in my case, Matthew Quinn, and then target me with an ad. So that's, that's kind of the, the shift that we're seeing there, Miles, the difference between the first and the third party experience, and then ultimately how the third party way of retargeting is, is slightly changing towards, you know, the, the data that the brands own themselves. Gotcha. Okay. So why don't we talk about what are the changes that Google are bringing in uh, that we've heard about for next year? I think maybe some, some other companies and why, why are they doing it? Yeah. So, so this has really been led by the browsers. So I think it's, um, it's easy to forget the role of the browsers in terms of us, us going around the internet and data that's being captured on us. So you think about the, the main browsers out there in the world, Google Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Internet Explorer, I suppose. And it's something that was initially Safari took the lead with, you know, Apple have this standpoint that they don't really monetize um, their users data or, or really use that for advertising, even though they do have some advertising offerings. So for, for years now, Safari has blocked third party cookies. So they don't even allow them to fire in their browser. They own the browser so they can control what happens. And then Firefox followed suit. Now with Google Chrome, Google Chrome is the, um, the browser that we see has the most users, especially kind of in our markets. And Google are also of those, of those browsers we talked about, the only one that has, that owns the majority of the digital advertising ecosystem. So again, the majority of Google's revenue comes from digital advertising, retargeting, display ads, you know, Google search, YouTube, etc. So what was really interesting with the changes that Google were proposing is that they said initially that by 2022, they would follow suit and they would block third party cookies within their browsers. 
Now, in the last month or two, they extended that out another year. So they pushed that out to 2023. And why this, why this was quite a headline-grabbing announcement was because although they made that initial upfront statement kind of under the guise of we're following suit with these other browsers, you know, this is a, a privacy play, I'm not sure whether Google know what is going to replace that, that kind of third-party means of retargeting because that is so important for so many brands that have that anonymous site traffic for retargeting that they need a really robust solution to follow suit so that you know brands are still able to fulfill the use cases that they have today but also if you're google you know you don't want to be losing a very very valuable revenue stream so you know is it a is it a privacy play is it a bit of a power play because let's remember google aren't the only advertiser in this space um, but they are really the, the only one that has their own browser so it could be quite an effective way kind of squeezing the competition a little bit. Um, and as I say, that extension of the, you know, the, the deadline from 2022 to 2023, from my, you know, my personal opinion is that it gives them a little bit more time to think about what the solution is going to be beyond this. So it makes me wonder then, like, what's the um, origination of this change? Is it come from government or is it just these, you know, companies themselves making this decision to kind of appeal to people feeling as if their data isn't being exploited or, or whatever the terms are because obviously it's not only google we need to be thinking about right now um because apple are a part of this too they're making changes right exactly yeah and it's, it's a really good point i think it's the um it's kind of the cross-section of a lot of different changes that we've seen so we saw gdpr um, rolled out a few years ago now. With that, we as consumers are a lot more mindful that websites do want to capture our data. Um, I think at the same time, it's important to recognize third-party cookies have been around for decades. They've been around, I think, since since the 90s. And, you know, it was an effective technology at the time, but the internet and the digital world has changed so much in the last 30 years. I think even if we look back five, 10 years, we can see a huge amount of change just with where digital advertising dollars are going. You know, when Facebook launched, what was it, 2005? Who'd have thought that 15 years later that would be, you know, one of the largest advertising platforms on the planet? Right. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily um, one particular factor. I think it's a combination of maybe societal change. We are all more mindful of how our data is used. You can see fines now for um, for companies or organisations that aren't um, aren't respecting data privacy, or maybe they've been subject to a data breach. The fines now are in the hundreds of millions, or or sometimes in the billions. Sure. So there is there is a huge amount of emphasis on these organisations such as Google, Facebook, and you know brands out there that capture data to be acting responsibly. And I think the interesting position that, that Google found themselves in is that. They do have that responsibility, yet at the same time, um, such a large portion of their revenue is from advertising that I'm sure it creates a little bit of a dilemma there. <laughs> They're conflicted, shall we say. Yeah. They want to do the right thing, but it's at a cost. So they'd rather, you know, I think the term might be kick the can down the road, although I'm sure some people would object to that. So <laughs> let's just make it a little controversial. <laughs> yeah. 
So Matt, yeah, for, for marketers thinking about how they uh, respond to this, what is the potential impact to marketers with these changes and what should they be thinking about now to, to ready themselves? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the big impact is, is kind of, as we've discussed, is having a bit of an impact on data capture. Um, it's having an impact on some forms of digital advertising, but ultimately it's, I think the big change is that consumers are now aware, consumers have more control um, and are more mindful of what data is being captured and how it's being used, which is a good thing. This is, this is ultimately what we want. So what it, what it means for marketers is that, you know, the reliance on the more questionable data sets of third party data, um, that reliance has, has decreased. And what we're seeing an increase in is investment in building your own data asset. So being able to capture what people are doing on your website, um, being able to store that against that individual in, in your database or whatever it is you're using. And I suppose being agile as well with your technology stack, because look, digital marketing is, is in a constant state of change. And I think we're going to see a lot more change over the next 10 years as well. We're seeing, you know, the, the connected world evolve a lot over the last 10 years, the number of connected devices in all of our households has gone up, you know, has gone up a crazy amount. We've now got connected, um, you know, Amazon echoes and Google homes and the like connected TVs. So with all of these devices, these present opportunities for, you know, for marketers, the digital marketing space to start to connect that into their brand's data set, start to give their brands the opportunity um, to run more personalized campaigns. But I think what it means ultimately for marketers is that they need to be agile, that they should not, they should try and avoid being anchored um, too greatly to one particular part of the ecosystem or to one particular technology provider. And to be mindful that, you know, we're seeing new players kind of enter and exit this space all the time. Um, and I think that's just an important, you know, an important mindset to have is that things will change. You can't deploy a tech stack and just expect that to be static for the next 10 years. Um, so yeah, be, be agile, be adaptive. Brilliant. Thanks, Matt. Um, taking us right round to the fact that we are here primarily to serve our financial services community. It would be great to get some insight from you around the ways in which, um, these companies are preparing for the changes, what, what are you seeing them do in prep for what's already happened with some browsers and, and is due to come in the next year or two with Google? Yeah, I, so, so what we're seeing is that brands, financial service companies are, are really investing in their own experience. And I think this is something that we're seeing across the board, across industry, is that how experiences are, are evolving quite quickly. Think about banking today versus banking five or 10 years ago. Um, I've got maybe seven or eight different apps on my phone. Um, I can't remember the last time I went into a branch, you know, those apps I can sign into just using face ID. So it's a really great experience. All of my accounts in one place. Um, and if I need support, you know, I can use things like live chat. Um, they have all of my information there. If you're subject to any kind of, um, you know, uh, what's the, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for when, uh, when someone access your credit card, you know, fraud, fraud yeah. Like yeah. If you're, if you're subject to any kind of fraud, you know, 
the rep you're talking to can see that they can look at your history and, and can resolve that and in this space we're seeing financial service organizations invest in their own um, in their own data set so in their own ecosystem that they can control so looking at how they can use data to enhance that customer experience so being able to use that data across different marketing channels to to present relevant messages at the right time to be able to use that data to deliver you know personalized uh, preemptive communications in the mobile app and transparency i think is is the key to all of this so whether it's you being mindful of what you're agreeing to on a website um, you mentioned earlier joe around you know apple are following suit with these changes that's that's really i suppose the way that i think about that is the the mobile version of, of gdpr um, you know, GDPR, we, we typically think of as that, um, that cookie banner that we see on the website. Yeah. It's, it's obviously, it's a bit more than that, but what, what Apple have, have come forward with is, is a similar way of thinking in order for an app to track you now, they need to present that to you and you need to agree to it. So transparency is key and thinking about what that value exchange is, because, you know, if an app, if a, if a bank that. You know, I'm a customer of wants to capture data on me. I may not have a problem with that if I'm clear as to what the value exchange is there. What's that then going to do for me? How's that going to enhance my experience? And they need to surface that to me. They need to educate me on that. Um, and then, as I say, so kind of being, I suppose, decentralized. So not being tied into one particular, you know, advertising platform or not being tied to you know, one particular on-prem legacy system. If, if we want to um, be adaptive to how the customer experience is evolving and how customer experience you know, now touches multiple different digital touch points, then we need an infrastructure that, as I say, is agile and is able to connect into this as these changes, as these changes happen. So, Salesforce has a lot of capabilities in this space. Like we say, cookies have been around for a long time. A lot of the capabilities that we provide to our customers uh, leverage cookies to help know and personalize and, and engage their customers. Um, what are we at Salesforce doing in response to these changes and how are we going to help and enable our customers to continue to provide that, that great customer experience that they want to for their customers? Yeah, so, you know, this, um, these changes, they, they haven't come out overnight. We've anticipated this for some, some time. And even before, I think Google and Apple in particular came forth with these announcements officially, they were anticipated. It was, it was kind of following the trend that we saw. So in terms of Salesforce technology, we've, we built our, um, our customer data platform around these changes that we've seen happen. So with Salesforce, for example, um, we have an app exchange and that app exchange allows our partners to build applications, you know, similar to, to those of the, um, the app store on your phone. Applications that can start to um, enhance your data or allow you to use your data in all of these ever changing environments. And with our, our customer data platform that we've built, it has the ability to, to pull in data from multiple different sources. So you know, if we're thinking about consumers that are on your website and we want to start to bring that data in so that you can use that in your marketing or so that you can start to connect 
what it is I'm looking at with maybe a service representative or, or a sales representative. Um, or if you want to start to use this data on the other side, so to actually activate that out into advertising channels, back to your website, um, into service environments, into the emails, we've built a platform that is, as I say, it's agile and it's really flexible and it isn't solely tied to the Salesforce ecosystem. And I think as a, as a business, we've, we've recognized that a lot of the customers we talk to, um, we've listened to them. We're, they're telling us that we might be using Salesforce, but we're not solely a wall-to-wall Salesforce shop. There are, other, there are other providers in here. You know, we're using different advertising platforms. Um, we may have you know, a data lake or a data warehouse built on something else. And I think the way that we have built our, our technology stack in a way that recognizes that and doesn't limit our customer's experience just because there may be a non-Salesforce component of that, that is what is allowing them to be, to be agile. That's what's allowing them to um, deliver a really great customer experience regardless of, of where that customer is. That's brilliant, Matt. Thanks. And obviously that's testament to the fact that MuleSoft is part of the Salesforce family, you know, and that upholds the ethos that we know that people are, are working in a world where they pick and choose the tech they want. And we need to make sure that whatever we offer helps to tie that all together. So I guess to summarise what you're saying is in the cookie-less future world, to prepare for that, you have to do everything you can right now to harness all of your first-party data. You need to collect and you need to be smart in the way that you do it and you need to store it in a way that allows you to utilise that data um, for all of your marketing activities and actually combine that with the rest of your business data to give the most personalised and useful experience to your customers. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I mean, if we if we think about the the ever changing role of the marketer, you know, when I joined Salesforce seven years ago, um, the role of the marketer was very different. You know, today a marketer is hands on in segmentation, is hands on in the data, is using that for, for different campaigns, um, and is mindful as to where that data comes from. So the technology that we built has been designed in a way that. It empowers you know a single business user to be really successful and to to fulfill a lot of their day-to-day -day use cases rather than you know seven years ago when i joined your marketer would need to work with an it team and a web team and maybe a data team so think of all those processes between those four teams communicating think of how long it then may may take for a request to be fulfilled <laughs> yeah so things like being able to reduce you know time to build an audience for example yeah it's not uncommon we hear that takes us a week and that requires three teams yeah. and what we've built now allows marketers to be able to do that themselves you know in minutes and and have that audience ready same day so um, yeah there's been, there's been a lot of change and you know change i suppose is the is the one constant in this space so be mindful um be mindful of where your customers are spending their time be mindful as to you know what looks like is is coming on the horizon um respect consent and think about your vision think about what your end goal is and and tie you know your your marketing campaigns tie your data strategy to what it is that you as a as a business you as a brand are trying to deliver
Brilliant. Great advice. Thank you, Matt. So I guess it seems like nobody needs to be um, fearful that third party cookies are going. Ultimately, as a marketer, you're responsible for customer experience, too. So there's a trade off there. Use your first party data wisely and you won't have any negative impacts from not having the third party data anymore. So, Agreed. yeah. Yeah. And I, and I yeah, and I, you know, I'm really taking trust and transparency from you as well on this, Matt. I think you know, it feels like there is there's clearly constant change within the industry, and that's not going to go away. Like you say, people have to adapt. So, you know, coming from a Salesforce point of view, putting trust at the heart of everything that we do, and, and transparency with customers, and enabling that is going to be something that our our customers can control, and, and hopefully, we'll choose to do it with Salesforce. So thank you so much for guiding us through that today, Matt. Uh, I hope and I'm sure it will not be the last time that we hear from you. Would you join us again? Yeah, I'd love to. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. Thank well, you, thank you. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Really enjoyed discussing this with you today. Thanks for coming on and speak to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Hit subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Reach out to us on LinkedIn or email us at podcastuk at salesforce.com if you want to give us feedback or suggest content for new episodes. Until next time. Thanks for listening.